Welcome to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Today, we're going to challenge you to think differently and do things differently. To search for what is seen as impossible to do in your field or industry, but if done, would be transformative. To understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Now, here is your host, Jay Allen. Hello, I'm Jay Allen, your host to Get to the Future on Time and Do Differently Tomorrow. I think a Thomas Thomas Edison quote really frames up our discussion today. He said, there is a better way to do it, so find it. I think that really frames up what we want to talk about. The purpose of this radio series is to challenge and help you to think differently, do things differently, and have more impact and have more fun doing it. We want to help you search for what is perceived to be impossible to do in your field, but if done, would be transformative. And we want you to see new paths to positive excitement by creating your own future to get to the future on time. And finally, examine why the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. With my guests, we will discover exciting transformation opportunities, what those opportunities meant to them and to their organizations, and we'll bump into things about their successes, their stumbles, their regrets, and wonderful things they learned in the journey. And we're excited to have these three guests with us today who have led in so many aspects of life, from business to educational to social opportunities. Jim Autry is a corporate publishing executive, educator, best-selling author, speaker, and leader. Tom Gould, corporate retail executive, board member, entrepreneur, owner, and leader. And Jim Pearson, corporate manufacturing executive, board member, entrepreneur, owner, and leader. So how are each of you today? Where are you, by the way? Tom, where are you? Are you still in Montana? Montana. Beautiful Montana. And Jim Pearson, where are you today? I'm uh, chilling off in uh, cold Illinois. Aha. Uh-huh. And Jim Autry, how about you? I'm in the Paris of the Plains, Des Moines, Iowa. Oh, great to hear. <laughs> And I'm in Minnesota, Minneapolis, where all kinds of weather happens. So let's talk about transformation. Uh, What does transformation mean to you, and what are your transformation experiences? Tom Gould, let's start with you. Could you share with our listeners one of your experiences with transformation? Yes, Jay. When I was in college, I had a wonderful business teacher that taught business with common sense and based on the principles of honesty, integrity, and accountability. As I got into business, I realized that was a good foundation, but it needed more support. And I added the dimension of beneficial actions. And the acronym is HIABA. Honesty, integrity, accountability, and beneficial actions. Would you repeat it, that again, Tom, for our audience? Honesty, integrity, accountability, and beneficial actions. If you will build that as your foundation and leadership, you will have infinite success regardless of your career. Could you, uh, could you link that to one of your business transformations? 
what it taught me is uh, if you grow your people, you grow your business. The business is nothing but a corrective, collective reflection of the people's efforts. And my job was when people, other people had problems, was to turn them into opportunities. That was transformative. So Jim Autry, how have you experienced transformation and its impact? Well, very much so through people. I'm, I'm uh, as Tom says, it's, it's a business is for, about, among, and with people. And if you get the people's part of it right, you can pretty much do anything. Uh, it was very transformative to, to me to be in a business with a, with a product that was uh, sort of just perking along and destined to decline. And I said, well, we should start some new products. I looked around and everybody else in the industry was spending millions and millions of dollars in trying to develop new product. That was the big mantra, new product, new product development. And uh, I mean, they were literally spending millions, but we didn't have millions. I mean, I had to do everything out of my budget and my budget didn't have millions. So where was the answer? The answer for transformation lay where it always lies in, about, among, and with the people. So I decided that I would go to the people and I put to, and I knew that the people who this was a creative group, we were the magazine business. So we had editors, designers, writers, photographers, illustrators, and I knew what they wanted to do was create. So I went to them and I said, I'm going to appoint a, a, a task force, a committee. Oh God, a committee. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and in it, you, you find, you start doing some research and find out what products in our field you think are needed and then do a plan and work on that. Develop it, do budgets, do all the stuff that you need to do in a, in a, in a planning process. And then we will decide whether we can test it, give it a go. And if it works and we launch it, you can be on the staff of that magazine. Well, it was amazing what that, what that unleashed the surge of creativity that unleashed. When I took this magazine group, we had four magazines and, a, and some special interest publications. When I left it, we had 17 magazines and some interest, special interest publications. And that was all because the people, I was, people thought, my God, what, is, what magic is Autry working? What magic was, I asked the people to get involved and tell us what we should do. They did, we did, and the rest is history. That's great. It's, um, that must have been exciting. Oh, it was. In fact, that was the most verdant, creative period in, in that magazine's, in that whole group's history, and, and I felt privileged to be at the top of it. Any idea of why others didn't think of that or do it? Well, because I think that the answer lies in the money only in money. And, you know, money's an important factor, but people is, are the most important factor. And, and uh, they decided that, uh, I think these people decided they had all the answers or they could go out and hire consultants, excuse me, who, who have all the answers for them. And, uh, and that's the way they went about it. The consequence being that they literally dumped millions of dollars. There are a few products out there that are a result of these 
these other companies' efforts, and I won't name them, but they're still in business, but they, for the most part, struggled and continue to lose money. A couple of them have done very well. I'm not knocking that. All I'm saying is we tried another technique, and it has worked tremendously well. So did it, did it appear to others around you that the people approach was actually more complex and would be more of a problem than just the straight brute money comp, uh, approach? Well, I don't know if it occurred to them or not, but anybody who's been involved, involved in, the, uh, in, the, in the leadership work, which is what I stress on management or leadership, uh, you realize that that is very complex, that dealing with people is extremely complex. And when you look at it, actually, the money stuff is easier than dealing with the people. And uh, in my business, filled with creative people, all you need is, is somebody walking in your office screaming at you about, about something they're unhappy about, and you realize that your job is not to jump on them and beat them down and bully them, it's to listen. And that's sometimes more difficult than trying to manage the money. So, yeah, it, that, that came up time and again. It, it led me to, to write a book. And in fact, it led to my later career on leadership, leadership training and management called Servant Leadership. And my, this book called The Servant Leader uh, kind of did very well and um, has led to me doing a lot of consulting and traveling and, and leading workshops literally all around the world. I worked on developing a, a servant leadership uh, uh, program at, uh, in, in the Netherlands. And, uh, and I worked with uh, Starbucks and Whole Foods and others in, in the whole servant leadership area. And it was out of having to deal with the complexities of that creative group that led me to understand some of the principles of, of dealing with the people and, and getting the best out of them. And uh, it's not a matter of manipulation, it's a matter of service. You know, Servant leadership gets misinterpreted. You think of it as, as uh, being a servant. It's, it's not about servitude. It's about service to others. So it sounds like you have, you've taken what some people might see as a complex situation and broken it down into some very basic principles that we're all people. We're all alike. We like to be included. We like to have stretch goals. And we like to get the work done and the joy of doing it. Is that kind of what I hear you saying? Absolutely. The joy of doing it is a great phrase. Mm -hmm. So, Jim Pearson, could you share some different perspectives from two angles? Uh, you were a corporate leader, and then you, had your, you got your own business. You bought your own business, and you led that individual business. So, how would you contrast some of the transformation perspectives between your executive leadership and corporate life and then owning your own decent-sized company? Well, Jay, it was an interesting experience. And uh, when I think about uh, the, the differences and yet what was important that made them alike, it was the, the ability to create the, the, the philosophy that we're all entrepreneurs in our business. Um, 
the value that someone gets out of something is what they're willing to put into it. And when they want to put something into it, they want the reward of it. And it doesn't necessarily mean money, which I agree with Jim. It's creating that culture that, that, that they believe in and the strategy of, of implementing culture. Uh, and that has to do with values. And people, as we've all said, they're our greatest asset, no question about it. But how do they begin to trust you and in both those environments, I found that if you began to create an environment within the organization of ownership, and it uh, obviously uh, in each case is a little different, but if they all begin to feel like the, they're connected in an ownership way, it's amazing how they want to contribute and help transformation when the difficult times come in. And we had some ter- very difficult times in our manufacturing business. But to me, if you set the value system in place, and what, are, what, it is that, what is your values as a leader? Uh, when, and Tom mentioned respect, honesty, integrity. Well, faith, family, and being a good listener also become so critical in beginning to get people to trust of the, yourself and that ownership situation. Amen. So as, a long, as a long story, I could tell you about how we, how we stumbled into excellence. I use the word, it's hard to stumble into excellence, but... Um, through this transformation process, when we had difficult times, it really worked. So, Jim Pearson, what do you think would have happened if you had not stepped up to the challenges and opportunities in your own manufacturing company? I think that we would have had the difficulty at the time that was so significant on us that I think that we'd have faced a, uh, either a situation where we had to sell out or that faced some bankruptcy because the, the issues were traumatic. And um, I can go in, I'd be happy to go into the detail a little bit because it was so significant. Manufacturing's always been a, uh, a difficult business. And then we became, uh, we became competitive with the world. And when we became competitive with the world, uh, it, it, it really required us to, to to do some new thinking. We lost 25% of our business in two years, and that was a real hard hit. It went to China, and there were things that we couldn't deal with, which was currency manipulation, um, all kinds of things that they wanted to do to enter our markets. Well, you lose 25% of your business and you can't create an opportunity to find new value, uh, the challenge gets to be very difficult. And we did find some new opportunity. And we were able to say, what is it that we can, how can we add value as opposed to being concerned about how we're going to close the shop? And we were able to say, okay, let's see if we can machine the parts that we manufacture. And by doing that, we were able to have enough money to be able to start investing in machining. And that added value enough so that product came back to us that uh, made it more difficult for the competitors to uh, to uh, maintain their, their, uh, their share. So... Without that transformation of technology, and fortunately we were able to invest in technology, it made a tremendous difference. But that came about by asking, like Jim said before, okay, people, here we are. Here's our problem. What do you think we should be doing? And they said, well, let's start machining. Well, that's a great idea. Now I had to go find the money to do it. That's another little challenge. And, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's the people that said, we want our business to stay open. We feel like owners. We want, us, we want our jobs. And we, uh, they helped us create that future that was a very transformational thing for us. And, and in fact, even today, we're starting to get more and more of that business back, but it's taken a long time. 
It's been a real challenge. So, but we, as I say, it's hard to stumble into excellence, but when your people are working with you and feel like entrepreneurs and part of your process, you got a win-win. Jim, that's a wonderful phrase, stumble into excellence. <laughs> yes, uh, those accidents or stumbles usually are the result of uh, what you described. Yes. Listening, leadership, what Jim Autry described. Uh, Tom Gould, could you amplify just a little bit on that experience that we shared together when you were CEO of Yonkers and that transformation? I'll tell you, the real transformation, Jay, came when I went to Washington in 1985 and wages were at uh, three and a quarter an hour and they were talking about going to four and a quarter. I came back to Yonkers, looked at my productivity and said, my God, I'd have to get rid of 20% of my people if I went to uh, four and a quarter an hour. That won't work. I'll have no customer service. So I started looking at my people, and I realized there was a group of people called Hall of Fame who was producing $90 an hour with the average associate producing 45 So my focus became Hall of Fame. They Tom, were our could, I, could I interrupt you just for a moment? Sure. And we'll pick up on that uh, after a short break. Okay. And we'll pick up on Hall of Fame because I think that's a good place to break because we both experience the impact of those Hall of Fame associates. Exactly. And I want to pick back up on that. Perfect. Thanks, Tom. Are you struggling to gain a competitive edge in your market? Are you looking for innovative ways to engage customers, improve responsiveness, and inspire your team to grow your business? Masters Alliance Strategic Management Consulting Firm brings over 30 years of experience partnering with a wide variety of industries in 13 countries to achieve breakthrough business results. Jay Allen and his team of professionals can help your organization consider new strategies and creative solutions to produce a lasting impact. Masters Alliance delivers the knowledge and experience to help your team take action now. Masters Alliance will work with you to engage employees, customers, and suppliers to accelerate how you do things to gain growth and competitive advantage. Our team brings fresh perspectives and a track record of excellence to help you accomplish your business goals. If you're ready to set your business apart and make a difference in your markets, Masters Alliance is ready to help. Visit mastersalliance.com to learn more. Are you ready to break the mold and discover your business edge? Are you ready to get to the future on time? Then take the bucket off your head and transform something. Opportunities are everywhere. Drawing on key principles from his award-winning Bucketheads book, Jay Allen and his team at Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC, will support you as you take your organization out of its comfort zone, energize, and embolden your team to champion new thinking. Identify obstacles to growth and look at markets, customers, and competition from a fresh perspective. Discover your organization's outlook on the future and potential to shape that future. Does your team appreciate the excitement of achievement? Do they understand that today may already be obsolete and tomorrow's opportunities are easy to miss? It's time to take action. Get in the new game and make a difference in the marketplace. Commit to success today. Get in touch with Jay Allen at mastersalliance.com. Get your copy of Bucketheads today. Available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. 
See more at BucketheadsBook.com. You are tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com. That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. For those of you that might have tuned in late, we're excited to have three experienced leaders as guests with us today. Jim Autry, Executive Leader, uh, President of Meredith's Corporation Magazine Group, Hall of Fame University alum, and a fighter pilot, no less. Tom Gould, Executive Leader, President, CEO, Board Chair of several U.S. retailers, served as his Governor as Chair of Education Task Force and Jim Pearson, executive leader, board member, president, officer of trade groups, and founding chair of Illinois Math and Science Academy. We're back, and I think, Jim Autry, you had something you wanted to start with. Yeah, well, when I came on the board of Yonkers, which Tom Gu was the CEO then, uh, I thought it was just going to be a nice ride, and then within a year, we were subject to a hostile takeover bid, and, you know, I don't know what most CEOs would do in the midst of a hostile takeover bid, but I think most of them would start squirreling around looking for money, looking for white knights, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw Tom one day and I said, Tom, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to visit the stores and talk to the people. I thought, yes, yes, that's what he should do. And it, and, and it led to a turnaround. Tom, why don't you take it? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, Jim, it did. Uh... I want to go back to the Hall of Fame associates that we were talking about, because that's so important. In uh, 86, for the first time, I measured sales productivity per hour, $60 an hour. Hall of Fame associates were 90. The average associate was 45. My goal was to have all associates at a Hall of Fame level within three to six years. Between 1986 and 96, Hall of Fame overall productivity at Yonkers went from 60 to $128 per hour. Wow. Our selling costs went from 7.8 to 5.9. The wage went from 3.50 an hour to 8.28 an hour. It was a win-win situation, focusing on the positive and winning turning on those people and when you focus on the best people in the company and you realize that corporate is there to serve these people who serve our valued customers, it changed our organization and put us in a winning position versus our competition. And yes, the people are where it's at. Fortunately, when the hostile takeover government had come along, the year before, I had put in satellite television in every store and distribution in the company. We had 56 stores and three distribution centers, and I was able to talk to all 6,600 associates at least once a month and update them on where we were versus our goals and what we needed to do to grow. It was incredibly transformative, and I got feedback from all of our people during that time. Yes, I spent my time with the sales associates and the customer. 
Tom, in, in our manufacturing business, uh, the way I could relate to that is there's a term we used, it's called walk the talk. And when you go out and walk the talk and you listen to your, your organization, you begin to learn about the, the, the things that are important to them and they help you decide on what's important to the company. And to me, that getting out and talking to the staff in the shop, in uh, what I call in my work floor, uh, was so valuable. And then instead of telling them, I wanted to listen because listening gave me an insight as to where the power of some of their thinking was. And again, it supports the concept of people, but but it's it's not only saying that, it's to get out there and actually have interface with those people that are right on the action floor. So. I, I, I totally agree with you. We, we do it. We're not quite as sophisticated maybe in manufacturing, but walking the talk means a big thing to us. No question about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, I, we had uh, sales offices in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, at Dallas, Atlanta. And obviously, I couldn't get around all of them every year without, uh, you know, doing nothing but traveling between sales offices. So I set up something called Coffee with Jim. And when I'd go to a place, I'd have someone organize a group of the employees there and they could be top salespeople or the, or the lowest mailroom person. And I didn't discriminate. We'd get them all together in a room and I'd try to limit it to about 30 and then just talk and say, and we'd just have coffee and I'd say, what's going on? What's bothering you? What's happening? What pro- problems are there? How can I help? And that series, and I, I did that just regularly, and it got to be kind of a joke, coffee with Jim. <laughs> and, but it worked, and people felt in touch with me. I got notes in between time from people. It felt that I was accessible. I think, I think one of the problems with hierarchy is that people at the top tend to separate themselves from the other folks and they get the reputation of not being accessible. I can't talk to them because, well, you got to overcome that. you got to realize that servant leadership is about being authentic, being vulnerable, being accepting, being present, and being useful to people. That's beautiful. Uh, I'll tell you, Jim, one thing that we did that was transformative at Yonkers early on in about 87, we changed our employees to associates. Now, why, why is being an associate important? Associates are involved in the decision-making process. They were allowed to accept returns and exchanges without a manager's signature. And everybody said, my God, our, our returns and exchanges are going to get out of control. They went up a point, but over the year, they came down two points. It was absolutely amazing. And we put pre-tax profit into profit sharing for every associate in the company. Our people became owners, and owners work a whole lot harder than workers. And it also got down to people feeling trusted. Exactly. I want to share one other experience. When I was 15 years old, I was working in the general store loading trucks with fertilizer, feed, and seed. And tobacco farmers back there talking about they just got their money for the crop for the season. And this tobacco farmer, Mr. Peach Fletcher, drove up and got out of his truck. And the guys immediately started on him. They said, you know, Peach, 
Every year you get the best price for your crop in the county. We've got the same plants, the same seed, and the same fertilizer. Don't understand the difference. I remember Mr. Peach Fletcher raised up his hooded eyes. He says, boys, the owner's footsteps is the finest fertilizer there is. I never forgot that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. That's the truth, Tom. Yeah. You so know, I think when I think ahead, about go ahead, what I was thinking about, we each in our own way in different industries have connected to this concept of people and leadership and how you how you try to blend that in a way that's creates success within an organization. And I still want to get back to what I consider the importance of being able to establish within an organization a value, a culture, a culture that respects values. And I think every leader has to create what he considers his values and communicate those values. Because when you do that, you begin to define who you are and what your expectations of others are, hopefully to see those as being the right kinds of values. And that creates the culture and then you support that with with your other support systems and monetaries and ownership things but to me if you if you value the leader whatever position that leader is in you're much more willing to um, take the challenge of creating a new opportunity so um, to me that whole value system within the organization starts with the person but it starts at the top of the organization to create that value system. And I think that's very important to creating a successful um, opportunity under difficult times. Jim, that's something that uh, Jim Autry and I talked about one day. And uh, he's saying, Tom, my goodness, uh, how do you control all these people? You've got 6,600 associates. I says, I don't control them. I says, you can control 10 or 12 people. I says, culture is much more powerful than control. You can influence an infinite number of people. True. Exactly. Yes. And I've One of my, a couple of my favorite values uh, experiences, one of our clients, we were working with them on values, and there were a few execs that couldn't quite get the value picture. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so the, so the, uh, when in my discussions we had some focus groups, and w one of the associates said, "Well, what do we do about that?" We said, "Well, uh, why don't you stay late and print out one of the values that one of the execs is seeming not to get, and tape it to the door, and so <laughs> when that person comes in in the morning, they'll see that value." And I said, "Just every night you do the same thing, and pretty soon it'll click." And <laughs> <laughs> they did. They did it to a couple, three execs, and I remember the CEO saying that did more to solidify the values than anything that he or she could have done. You know, Jay, that's very similar to something that I did in uh, the company, is to ask uh, my my five top guys or, or women, what the case was, to uh, write out what their value system was. And then with no names on it, come into a meeting and we each took a look at each other's value systems and we began to say, where were we divergent and why? And where were we close? And then we developed a system out of that that everyone said, you know, that's, 
that. I like that. So we all, it was a way of focusing values because unless you have that dialogue, you think that they do, but you're not sure they do. And to have that kind of open dialogue where you're not criticizing anybody, but you're trying to focus on what is the core team, those top people? Are we all in this together and thinking the same way? That's a very critical thing. And I guess that's, Tom, it's a little bit like culture, really. Right. And that's a really big deal at the senior levels. Uh, one of the things I like to talk about is that with uh, the 2,200 senior execs and their direct reports that I've worked with over the last 30 years, the percentage of execs who can agree on who their top 10 customer groups are is very small. <laughs> so, what do you expect? I mean, it goes back to, it, it's an extension of the values discussion, but somehow right. the execs need to be more transparent and talk to each other and get it settled and have a cohesive, cohesive leadership group. Very good point, yes. Uh, I'll tell you, Jay, uh, nothing takes the Chinese walls of business down like a hostile takeover does. That attempt failed but it broke down the barriers. Everybody had their little fiefdom, no matter how hard you try. But when that came, all the walls went down and everybody worked in absolute harmony and unity to win. And we did win. So I have a question for the three of you. Uh, Tom, you mentioned something uh, when you were young. And so you... Uh, how, when did you first, the three of you, learn to appreciate the idea of leadership? And how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you, I was six years old, toting tobacco, making 20 cents an hour, $2 a day, $10 a week. A grown man was making 45 cents an hour, four fifty a day, twenty-two fifty a week. Mr. John Goodwin was the uh, foreman of the tobacco field. He was riding around in a white Ford pickup truck smoking a cigar. And I said, well, that's got to be me. I've got to be riding around that truck smoking that cigar. <laughs> well, I did a little better than that. I'm still smoking that cigar, but I'm not riding around in a white Ford pickup truck. <laughs> I've been blessed. <laughs> so your, motiv your motivation was to stop picking and start driving. Well, I ended up at uh, 20 years old running the back of farm with 150 people on it. They had uh, sons out of school, 28, 29, that couldn't do it. But I'd worked every area of that, the back of farm. Plus, I worked in that general store when I was in uh, high school. And, and my first two years of college, I came back and worked on the weekend for them. So in that experience, Tom... Would you be willing to share what leadership challenges you ran into that really surprised you and how you overcame them? The leadership challenge was very simple. Uh, you had to inspect what you expect. And as Mr. Adrian Fletcher said, Peach Fletcher, the owner's footsteps is the finest fertilizer they is you got to get out there and you've got to walk it and know it and be a part of it. I was able to, in the two years that I ran that tobacco farm, improve the profitability dramatically because 
a perfect leaf of shade tobacco was worth five fifty a pound. If it had a flaw in it, it was worth seventy-five cents a pound. Well, I want you to know that I gave away a lot of watermelons and RC and moon pies to get the highest level of prime light in the county, and it worked. So, uh, either Jim, uh, how about you? When did you first see and experience and encounter this leadership situation or this leadership concept? Well, I, uh, if I might add, was a was a traumatic experience for me. I was in college and uh, decided uh, halfway through college that uh, maybe college wasn't for me and I was going to quit college. And my father was a foreman of a construct, big construction company downtown in Chicago. And I knew that if I went to work down there as a laborer, I could make myself, at those days it was like maybe 450 an hour, time and a half and double time because they were building high-rise buildings and so forth. Well, my dad was very disappointed at the fact that I didn't want to go to college. And so he said, fine, son, come on to work here. And uh, one morning I got a call. It was about uh, three in the morning and a sewer had broken in a foundation down on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. And they wanted the laborers to come down there and clean that stuff that was in, in in the basement. And there I was cleaning this mess. And I kept thinking to myself, God, there's got to be a better way. And uh, I finally got through a butt part of that. And I said to my dad, I said, you know, I think I really want to go back to college. He <laughs> said, well, son, he says, I'm glad you thought of that. He said, "Was uh, I'm happy to help you. And he did, because I realized being in that kind of life and the foreman telling me what to do and where to dig and where to throw the stuff wasn't what something I wanted for the future. And so my dad in his own clever little way got me to rethink about it. And I thought, you know what? I'd rather be ex- telling people and sharing how do we work together as opposed to them saying, go do clean this up. It was, it was a traumatic thing in my life. And it really, it really brought me to then finishing college. And then every opportunity I got to have a potential leadership in, uh, in my life, I did my absolute best to try to show performance because I wanted to be able to move up the line. And that meant whatever it took. And back in those days when we were making big presses for the automotive industry, when the automotive industry was going full bore in the 60s, we worked six and seven days a week. And you did it because you wanted to get the job done. And the more you do and put out, the better you're recognized. And so that leadership uh, has paid off for me in many ways. So and I owe it to my father and being a laborer. Well, but your father was a great leader because he understood it. And Jim, we want to hear your thoughts, but we're going to come back after a short break. Are you ready to look at your business from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow your revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics. Are you ready to look at your business from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow your revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics, the character of the customer, an advanced approach to understanding and engaging your current and potential customers. Traditional demographic views no longer tell you all you need 
need to know. Beyond Demographics engages your organization to gain unique, deep customer segmentation understanding. You get new perspectives of the motivations and needs of your customers. Masters Alliance is ready to help you identify distinct customer value with actionable customer priorities. We work with our team to reveal these hidden opportunities and develop demand creating value propositions. Now is the time to look at your market through a new lens and chart a new competitive direction. At Masters Alliance, you know that customers are more than meets the eye, and success depends on looking beyond demographics. Visit mastersalliance.com to learn more. You are tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com. That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. We're excited, for those of you that might have tuned in late, we're excited to have three experienced leaders as guests with us today. Jim Pearson, Executive Leader, Board Member, Century Insurance, Officer, Board Member, Illinois Manufacturing Association, as part of his background. Tom Gould, Executive Leader, CEO, Board Chair of TKG Properties Vision West, and co-founded his state's Economic Development Group as part of his background. And Jim Autry, executive leader, author of 15 books, features on Bill Moyer's special series, The Power of the Word, and had a leading role in Servant Leadership Academy in the Netherlands as part of his background. So we were talking about uh, experience in leadership, and I'd like to move on to Jim Autry now. Well, I didn't have a lot of experience as a child with leaders, uh, to tell you the truth. It was a divorce of my family, and uh, my mother and I ended up in a government housing project in uh, in Memphis. Uh, I, I like to quip that I'm sort of a, a, a natural-born uh, liberal because that housing project saved our lives. And I worked through all kinds of jobs like so many other people did and uh, really was not exposed to uh, good leadership until I was in the Air Force. Now, I saw a lot of bad leadership, and I think I learned a lot from watching le- people lead poorly. But when I got in the Air Force, uh, went through pilot training, and went into a squadron, and there was a marked difference in the results that the good leaders got when they were squadron, good squadron leaders versus the others. And, there, and most of that had to do with how they treated the, the people, the pilots. You know, there's the old top-down command control, cook them in the rear and take names uh, concept of leadership. And then there is the leadership we've been talking about. And my squadron commander, who had been a triple ace in World War II and a double ace in Korea, and he was the calmest, easiest-going guy you've ever met who, who really listened to his pilots and listened to people and, and yet commanded enormous respect from everyone. And that was a lesson to me that it's not about screaming and kicking people in the rear. And then when I got into corporate life, to my utter surprise, there was a lot of screaming and kicking people in the rear. And so I got to watch some <clears throat> pretty bad managers in corporate life. Uh, but I began to uh, see the good ones, and, and then I did a lot of 
looking at people at other companies and and uh, seeing what would work for me. And I think that transformation in my thinking about what leadership really is, rather than kicking them in the rear, but paying attention and listening, is uh, where I got to where I am today. And uh, in my consulting work, I, this is what I, I emphasize. And I, you know, I'll just let it rest there because I pretty much am like these other guys here in the way I think about leadership these days. Uh, what, but, you know, there's an old expression, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Everybody talking about good leadership ain't doing it. And <laughs> so you, you need to be constantly examining yourself to see if you're living up to your own values and own your concepts about leadership. Well, I like your, uh, your example as a fighter pilot. I uh, was a naval officer on a destroyer escort, and the contrast in leadership was very apparent. Yeah. Uh, you could have a great ship and then in the same squadron have a mediocre ship and then you could observe a bad ship. And I got to go and inspect from ship to ship occasionally because ours happened to be both. When I first came on board, it was a mediocre ship at best. And after a while, when we got a new captain and we had some officer turnover and I became one of the senior officers, then we became a great ship. And, but the interesting thing is when we'd go to other ships, the sailors wanted to be a great ship. They were upset. They wanted that, that thing that we had and they couldn't get it done. And the leadership was in the way. Yeah. And so that learning about that contrast has been really instrumental in most of my success through my life because it was a foundational thing. I, like others of you, I saw some things in my youth, but this one was the most impactful, the contrast and, oh, yeah. and how it could be done. It, it isn't rocket science and it doesn't take a long time. No, no, I like to say it's, it, you know, if, if you will treat people away, it's a golden rule. I mean, if you will treat people the way you want to be treated, that's the best kind of leadership. And, and, um, uh, now, you have to have goals and you have to do the, the sort of the structural things involved with running an organization, but you don't have to do it like a, like a drill sergeant. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'd like to move the discussion to another concept that we had mentioned briefly earlier on today, and that is the idea that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. What do you think about that concept, any of you? Well, there's an old expression, it's a lot easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. Yes. <laughs> and it's very much related to that, that business of regret. I operated under that principle often. Well, I have an example that I'd like to bring up that I got to experience firsthand, Tom, in your world when uh, one of the Hall of Fame, so senior Hall of Fame so associates came into the conference room and presented a plan to help you achieve the goals that you had previously talked about. Right. And she wanted to, her name was Doris, I believe, and she wanted to introduce 3030 Star. Exactly. And you said, what the heck's that? And she said, Mr. Gould, we can recognize anybody 
that comes within 30 feet of our register or our location within 30 seconds. And you said, how are you going to do that on sales day? How are you going to? And she, she just stood up real straight and strong, strong and said, Mr. Gould, we are professionals. We can nod. We can say, how are you? We can say, we'll be with you in a moment. We can make eye contact. And she listed five ways to recognize people. And she said, Mr. Gould, we can do it. And to your uh, credit, you said, okay, Doris, you got it. <laughs> we implemented within 30 feet and 30 seconds, a customer must be recognized with smile, time, attention, and respect. There you go. Uh, you remembered it. I didn't remember all of that. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, Jim Pearson, what do you think about that concept of burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading? Well, I've been thinking about in my past the times that, uh, you know, we, we've become successful, but we've only become successful is that we've stumbled somewhere along the way. And um, most of the stumbling that takes place in my case was um, maybe not making that decision as quickly as I'd like to have made it. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you do... There are times where you listen to people and there's a lot of recommendations and then your big picture says, well, you know, is this really the right timing? So you have to be sort of that, even though you want the team with you on all those decisions, some of the times you have to make that decision that might be contrary to the team, but if you have the way of giving a good solid ex uh, explanation of why you're doing that, and I think they try to understand. And I'm, I'm looking at it more from the standpoint like when we were going into to go into the capital business and so forth, and well, let's go out and get lathes. Well, you know, it's easy to say that, but when capital equipment costs you like, say, $100,000 or one hundred fifty or 200 you just don't jump out there and buy 10. You have to say it's a great idea, but we have to walk before we run. And the regrets maybe is that I would say that maybe I should have run a little faster at times and take a little more risk. And um, when I look back at it, maybe it would have been a more enhancing of our business. And uh, I regret a little bit not doing that. On the other hand, we were successful, what we did. And uh, so I take a little bit of solace in that. But uh, sometimes you just, that those decisions that are tough decisions, it's, uh, you maybe wait a little too long. Or like in my case, maybe I did, so. But you know what? It it taught me. So it says, okay, uh, I can open up my eyes to other decisions in the in the future, which I did, which I I didn't take as much time. But there, uh, the 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 results of regrets don't take them and live with them. Learn from them. That's the whole in my book. So good. Well, my greatest regrets have to do with uh, not getting rid of people I should have gotten rid of, tolerating bad performance for too long. You know, you go through a process of critiquing and, and giving steps for getting better and resolve all the things you do to try to save the person and try to save the job. But if they continue not to perform, the biggest problem is to, so not to take the action that you need to take, which is to terminate them. 
And if I have a regret about anything, it's I've, I've stuck with a couple of people way too long and created what I didn't realize is I was creating problems for people all around them. It took me a while to figure that out. And uh, then once I figured that out, I tried to not do that anymore. But uh, that's that's a regret I have. Um, I've heard people say that uh, uh, once they overcame some of those tendencies that they found that they were actually, when they did it earlier, they were actually doing the people a favor. Yeah. Because exactly. sometimes they were in the wrong slot. Sometimes yeah. they went, go ahead, Tom. You're absolutely correct. I mean, many people I experienced over the years that just didn't have the aptitude and the ability to be merchants. They were in the wrong area. They didn't belong there. And you know, you, you can't make a pumpkin into an apple. So you have to let them go. And it's for their own benefit. It's for the better for their future to get into a field where they can be successful. I had no regrets about letting people go. My attitude is you can't do enough for the good people and you can't get rid of the bad ones fast enough. Well, there's a takeoff on your story that I don't know if you remember that we both experienced together, and that is Tom did a Tom instigated a little survey to find out how many of the people on the sales floor really liked working with people. And the startling thing came back that almost 25% of those people on the sales floor didn't like working with people. And then he, then, so we said to Tom, well, let's find out what the people's attitudes are that aren't working with people. So he did backroom survey and found out that a whole bunch of people were so frustrated because they wanted to work with people. So he took a bunch of the people who didn't like to work with people and put them in the back room, brought the people in the back room out and put them on the sales floor and then turned it off to Doris and her people to train the train the people and that among other open to buy things. Remember Tom yielded a 2% increase in sales, no, 4% increase in sales in a 2% down market. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, it was absolutely transformative because when we started paying people for sales productivity per hour, it's amazing how people stepped up and really performed. Well, guess what we're doing here? We're wrapping up. That was a fast hour. I would say. Yeah. So I'd like to thank uh, Jim Pearson and Tom Gould and Jim Autry for joining us today. And we talked about the transformation experiences. We talked about leader experiences. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, how to get to the future on time. We just mentioned that a couple of times, so I want to reinforce that with the audience that the best way to do that is to create your own future. Exactly. And then you'll be there on time. So remember, uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you three for being on the show. It was, it was an honor, experience. Jay. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you great. for having us. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Next week, we will have more takeaways for your business success. So please join us next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon.